<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it. And you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had... The, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock, all these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text WINE to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's Anything Goes Friday, although Swami Beyondananda is going to drop by in about two hours and say hi to us. We'll have a, it's going to be a fun and interesting conversation. Uh, but uh, other than that, you know, the, the, the topics of the day, uh, the lines are open. The, te- the telephone number is 202-808-9925. Uh, the breaking news at this moment is that the, uh, the feds apparently have a two-minute tape. Rudy Giuliani, uh, Trump's lawyer, has confirmed this. A two-minute tape of Donald Trump and Michael Cohen talking about paying off, apparently, Karen McDougal. Uh, the payoff <coughs> excuse me, ended up being routed through, um, if press reports are accurate, through David Pecker's uh, company, which I think is called American Media. It's the company that owns the, the National Enquirer. And uh, because it was, they did this, this catch and kill thing, you know, they, they paid Karen McDougal for her story about her affair with Donald Trump, which apparently lasted many months uh, in the uh, year immediately after the birth of uh, Barron Trump, their now 11-year-old son. And, uh, and then, you know, he paid her uh, for it, or his company paid her for it, uh, Pecker's company paid her, uh, Karen McDougal, for the story and then uh, killed it, you know, buried it. So, you know, not... 
not a, a noble day in the annals of American journalism, although I'm not sure that the National Enquirer was ever really considered part of the, you know, the pantheon of American journalism. You probably caught the story about uh, President Obama being in South Africa for the what would have been the 100th uh, anniversary of the birth of, Del, of Nelson Mandela. And uh, the, the capital of South Africa, of course, is Pretoria. And in Pretoria, we have an embassy and we have an ambassador. I, I think we have an ambassador. Actually, I'm not sure if, uh, if Trump has bothered to fill that job or not. But in any case, uh, this uh, article from citizen.co.za, it's the, uh, the uh, South African daily newspaper, right? Uh, which is presumably called The Citizen, article by Brian Sakudo. And I, I caught this, by the way, by catching it. I caught a tweet from my colleague Joe Madison uh, on SiriusXM, and uh, one of the very best talk show hosts in the country, bar none. And Joe tweeted out, uh, you know, one should never underestimate how low he can go, which is a quote from the article. Uh, it's a quote from uh, visiting Professor John Stremlau about Donald Trump. He says he has a penchant for pettiness and a strange fixation on denigrating and dismissing virtually all the actions by his predecessor. That would be President Obama. Well, here's what happened. Typically, when a former president goes to a foreign country, the U.S. ambassador in that foreign country instructs the embassy to help him out with whatever he needs. I mean, obviously, we provide ongoing Secret Service security to former presidents, but but, you know, if you're going to be in a country, the embassy can help coordinate publicity or, you know, any kind of diplomatic meetings or, you know, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things that embassies do on behalf of, you know, senior officials and particularly former presidents. Apparently, well, not apparently, I mean, this, this is a, a report in, in the South African newspaper. And I quote, the Trump administration ordered that Barack Obama not be given any assistance by the American embassy in South Africa. This is a break from the diplomatic tradition of offering support to any visiting American leader. None of the U.S. Embassy staff had to play any role in President Obama's visit to South Africa. Quote, due to instructions by Washington that Obama should not be provided any assistance, according to a highly placed source. In the past, the U.S. Embassy has always provided full support to any visiting American leader, regardless of party affiliation. Amazing. What's, a, what's even more amazing to me, frankly, is, you know, I mean, A, how outrageous this is, and B, how it's not, it's not even being covered in the American media. This came out of the South African media. That's pretty amazing. Alan Pike, Twitter, uh, Alan Pike is, excuse me, Twitter. Alan Pike is writing over at uh, thinkprogress.org. The headline, this is it for you, you're effed, inside ICE's abuse of migrant kids at a frigid old Walmart. Children are sleeping on floors and being cussed out by guards, subsisting on meager rations of beans, crackers, and tortillas that leave them feeling ill, and passing the night sleeping on floors under bright lights in a converted Walmart in South Texas. The news reports of harsh physical conditions, humiliating psychological abuse, and basic deprivation at the so-called Casa Padre facility in Brownsville, Texas, came almost a month after President Donald Trump took symbolic steps to quash public outcry over his family's separation policy. They're, they've got hundreds of sworn affidavits from children and parents about these god-awful, the conditions in which they find themselves today in the world's richest and most powerful country shock the conscience. In many cases, the only bathroom the children are allowed to use is located inside their holding pen. There's a security camera in the room which points to the bathroom in the cell where a 17-year-old from Guatemala named Noe is being kept with a dozen other boys, he said. There's no privacy. It's dirty. They don't clean it. The room is always cold. The guards took my sweater. I sleep on the floor. There are three mattresses, but the boys from Honduras have taken them. He has said, adding that those other boys threaten to stab him if he falls asleep. The guards call us Guatemalans burros or stupid and say we don't understand anything. I, this is just, just I think progress.org. You can read the whole story. It is breathtaking what's going on there. ProPublica has a piece about health insurers. And this is fascinating. The this, this story, this is by Marshall Allen. And he, he is talking about this insurance industry 
you know, you, you get these industry events where they, they, you know, rent a hotel and a bunch of ballrooms and invite, you know, companies who want to sell things to the, to the industry to set up booths and things like that. And apparently this is one for the, for the health insurance industry. And he writes, to, the, to an outsider, the fancy booths at last month's health insurance industry gathering in San Diego aren't very compelling. A handful of companies pitching, quote, lifestyle data and salespeople touting jargony phrases like, quote, social determinants of health. But dig deeper, and the implications of what they're selling might give many patients pause. A future in which everything you do, the things you buy, the food you eat, the time you spend watching TV, keep in mind your smart TV in all probability, most of them do, is actually keeping track of every show you watch and reporting it back to the TV manufacturer or, the, or certainly uh, to the uh, manufacturer of the operating system, which in most cases is Google. So anyhow, dig deeper into the uh, a future in which everything you do may help determine how much you pay for health insurance. With little public scrutiny, the health insurance industry has joined forces with data brokers to vacuum up personal details about hundreds of millions of Americans, and there are only 300 and some odd million of us, including, odds are, many readers of this story. The companies are tracking your race, education level, TV habits, marital status, net worth, what you post on social media, whether you're behind on your bills, what you order online, and then they feed this information into compu complicated computer algorithms that spit out predictions about how much your health care could cost them. Are you a woman who recently changed your name? You could be newly married and have a pricey pregnancy pending. Or maybe you're stressed and anxious from a recent divorce. That too, the computer's model predicts, may run up your medical bills. Are you a woman who's purchased plus-size clothing? You're considered at risk for depression. Mental health care can be expensive. Low income and a minority? That means the data brokers say you are more likely to live in a dilapidated and dangerous neighborhood, increasing your health risks. All of these things, of course, would lead to higher prices for your health insurance. It's nuts. It's just nuts. There is, uh, it's, I don't know how to say it beyond that. It's just nuts. Oh, I got a whole bunch of other news stories here. I'll, we'll get to those as time goes on. But it, as I said, it's anything goes Friday. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Ken in Geneva, Illinois. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind today? Yes, uh, I'm a Korean vet, and I would like to inform all those vets out there that we still uh, are, have sworn to the, defend the Constitution, and um, it's uh, all enemies, foreign and domestic, and we, we are now domestic uh, in, in uh, helping the country. And uh, the only way we can do it is to... Uh, get rid of uh, all these, uh, um, uh, the aggression uh, uh, that they've infiltrated the Republican Party. Yeah. And the only way we can uh, do anything is defend. Uh, to, uh, to defend our country. I get it, Ken, and, and forgive my interrupting you, but we're going to hit a break here in a second. But it, the, the point that I would make that I think is a really important one is that you've got the billionaire Rupert Murdoch running his, his right-wing empire that on a daily basis lies to and frightens American citizens on behalf of billionaire interests, including the billionaire interests of Donald Trump. And then you've got the, you know, the right-wing Koch brothers in their network who on a regular basis are funding politicians who will lie to you about climate change, and as will they themselves, um, and many other issues, and, and actively, in my opinion, working to, to basically take down what's left of the New Deal and, uh, and the Great Society, which I think most Americans would say comport with American values. So, and, and they're using race to divide us. They're using philosophy to divide us. They're using phrases like far left and all this kind of, I mean, this, these, we're being torn apart for the profits of Coke Industries and, 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 and Rupert Murdoch. It's nuts. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of your calls right after the 17 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Boy, I've got. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this at the top of the next hour because it's just an amazing story about Scott Pruitt and what's up with the EPA. Actually, two amazing stories back to back uh, that I think you'll find fascinating. Roger in Detroit. Hey, Roger, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. What's up? That's good. Uh, what I was talking about today will be racism. If anything goes Friday, and if anything goes in racism. 
Mm-hmm. Racism is what built this country. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. If a country was built off of racism and it has systematically kept itself in the number one position through racism, what makes you think it will end racism? Well, first of all, I, you know, this country wasn't built entirely on racism. It was, but it was, you know, slave labor was uh, massive, and and the the uh, the systematic maintenance of an underclass, a racial underclass, and a variety of racial underclasses, um, has persisted from the founding of the republic, literally to this day, to the benefit of big business, and and now increasingly to the benefit of politicians who want to tear us apart. So you know, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that we're number one as the result of racism, though. I, I think that we could have achieved those goals by other by other. Well, you know, okay, no, I'll give it. To, I'll give it to you, Roger. Actually, your your logic line makes perfect sense. So, what was the question again? I'm sorry. Now, now, what I wanted to say is, since they built uh, this country off of racism, first by capturing the slaves, and and then by uh, uh, genociding the uh, indigenous Indians, taking the land and calling it settling or colonizing, whichever you want to use. I call it genocide. There's, there, see, they use terminology and miseducation to not tell you that there was a government here before our government. It was yes. Turtle Island, and it was mostly ran by Africans, not Indians. They, they don't tell you that it was more Africans on this continent before they had the North America slave trade, because Morocco gave them the independence to colonize, they, these things are miseducation. Are you talking about which causes, which causes racism to continue? Because people lie so much and has made historical lies a way of history. Yeah. And instead of instead of instead of walking around with signs, the only way we can stop these people is stop their money, and their money comes from us. If people would one day a week stop going to the store, next day a week stop going to the gas station, next day of the week stop going to spend elsewhere, say online, then you don't use your cell phones another day a week. And then on Friday, everybody goes to the bank at 12 o'clock and try to get your money out of these institutions, then we will get action. Well, I th- you know, it, to the extent that, Roger, you're suggesting that, that people, you know, vote with their feet uh, economically or vote with their wallets, I guess. Um, you know, as, as you know, I'm not a big fan of boycotts. I don't think that typically they do much. I would argue that instead of our getting our money out of what are, in many cases, essentially racist institutions, and certainly our large banks got where they are uh, to a large extent through redlining and practices like that. But there are alternate systems. There are There are credit unions. There are there are locally owned banks that are run by local people, uh, you know, who are reflective of their community with regard to race and gender and everything else that we can be moving our, our resources to. There are locally owned stores we can be shopping from. There are, uh, you know, uh, phone companies like Credo Action where you can, you know, every, uh, you know, they, they donate, I think, over a million and a half dollars a year to progressive causes, uh, particularly causes that, that, you know, work around issues of race. So there's a lot of things that can be done proactively as well as what you're talking about roger excellent point and great uh, great way to start anything goes friday tony in columbus ohio hey tony what's up hi i the conversation has been fascinating as i've been listening but i i was struck by um your points about the obama president obama being in south africa uh and the trump administration you know advising the embassy to not help him ordering the embassy I, yeah i i just wonder why was that a priority? I mean, with all the things that are going on and the handful of people that they still have working for this administration, how is that, how did that rise to the level of we need to do something specific about that? That's just amazing to me. How do you account for that being on the radar at all? I think that Trump has always hated Barack Obama. Uh, that the nation would elect a black president is incomprehensible to Trump. I mean, his job when he was a kid uh, uh, or related to his job when he was a kid was noting who was, quote, colored and who was not on the rental applications in his father's properties. Uh, you know, this, this, uh, he, he grew up in a racist stew. His father was, okay. was arrested at a KKK rally. And, right. and I think that he absolutely hates 
uh, Barack Obama. He, he built his political career on hating uh, President Obama. Right. And now right. he has, uh, along with much of the Republican Party, committed himself to reversing every single accomplishment that President Obama had while in office with the goal, and this is the reverse of the Reagan legacy project, with the goal that 10, 20, 30 years out from now, people will look back and say, you know, hey, we elected a black guy as president and nothing good happened. And, and, the, and I say it's the opposite of the Reagan legacy project, because after, the, after Reagan left office, a bunch of billionaires funded this project to, to name a building after or put a statue up of Ronald Reagan in every single congressional district in the United States and in every country in the world. And they, wow. they have accomplished this, by the way. It's, you know, how Reagan National Airport be, went from being National Airport to Reagan National Airport right. in Washington, D.C. And so the Reagan Legacy Project was all about spending lots and lots of money to make everybody think that Ronald Reagan was some great savior of America when, in fact, he began the dis utter destruction of the American middle class and, and began the process in, in, a whole, in a whole brand new modern Jim Crow era of tearing people apart based on race. His first, yeah. his first speech as an official Republican candidate was in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where Schwarmer, Cheney, right. and, and Goodman were murdered. And, right. and he talked about states' rights. I mean, you know, this, is, this, is, this was his legacy. And so you've got you know, the, the right-wing billionaires lifting up the Reagan legacy. At the same time, you've mm -hmm. got a right-wing billionaire in the White House and his right-wing billionaire enabler, Rupert Murdoch, over on Fox News, doing everything they can to tear down uh, President Obama's legacy. That's my opinion, Tony. Yeah, well, thank you for the additional information. I knew about some of that, but it just seems so petty. Yeah, but yeah. I guess if you know if that's but, the way you're brought up and you're focused on that, I think that it's partly that, and I think it's partly that they really are looking at history. They really are thinking, you know, a generation or two down the road, and they want to make sure that you know future generations who literally were not born early enough to remember Barack Obama's presidency will mm -hmm. think of him, you know, as in an ahistoric way, as, as uh, you know, wow. what, did, what did he do that was any good? Um, right, so, right. you know, it, we need Thank an Obama you. legacy project. Tony, thanks for the call. We'll be back. But, but this, you know, uh, telling the embassy in South Africa and Pretoria, do not offer any assistance to President Obama, that is nuts. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it into travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is pretty shocking. Uh, Kira Lerner is writing over at thinkprogress.org. States purged 16 million voters from the rolls before the 2016 election. Trump might not have lost by only 3 million votes in the popular vote. He might have lost by 19 million votes. Because 16 million votes, just from 2014 to 2016, in Republican-controlled states, were removed from the voting rolls. Uh, this report comes, this is, uh, the, the, this is uh, from the Brennan Center for Justice, a report that was published today. This is just a few weeks after the U.S. Supreme Court said that Ohio's voting purge system is just fine, no problem, even though it's going to mostly impact low-income people and communities of color, no problem. For the two years before the 2016 election, the number of purged voters across the county increased 30, 
excuse me, I'm sure they meant country, increased 33% over the two years before the 2008 presidential election, according to the report. That increase in purged voters was the most significant in parts of the country with a history of racial discrimination. This is mind-boggling. In Texas, for example, one of the states previously subject to federal preclearance, approximately 363,000 more voters were erased from the rolls in the first election cycle after Shelby County than in the comparable midterm cycle immediately preceding it. Georgia purged twice as many voters. That would be Karen Handel would, would have been in charge of that, I believe. 1.5 million between the 2012 and 2016 election. Twice as many voters as it did between 2008 and 2012. This is mind-boggling. 16 million people taken off the voting rolls in two years. According to the report, four states, Florida, New York, North Carolina, and Virginia, have engaged in illegal purges in the last five years. And another four, Alabama, Arizona, Indiana, and Maine, have implemented purge rules that violate federal laws. The only one of those states controlled by Democrats is New York. And I don't think that you can really say that the Democrats control New York. I, I'll just say that. Number one. Number two, I wanted to talk to you about Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt is, uh, is gone. But the EPA is, his, his number two is running the EPA. He's much more low-key. He's not an idiot. He's not going to be using sirens to go to fancy restaurants. But he's continuing the dirty work of the EPA. And uh, today, Gerald Connolly, writing in the Washington Post, Scott Pruitt's toxic legacy comes to a backyard near you. He's talking about coal ash. Coal-burning power plants produce an enormous amount of waste. Much of that waste goes into the atmosphere out of their smokestacks. But there's also the leftover coal. It's called coal ash or coal fly uh, and, uh, or fly ash. And this stuff is, is filled with mercury, lead, chromium, selenium, boron, arsenic, all chemicals, all elements, actually minerals, that when they get into your body, destroy you. In fact, this year, he notes, lawyers filed suit in federal court alleging more than 180 cleanup workers from a super fund site face severe health effects, and 30 of them have died just from dealing with coal ash. Right? So the Obama administration said, we got to do something about this. And they spent two years. They got over a half million public comments. They had held multiple hearings. They got input from both community and industry. And they came up with a set of compromise plans that said, if you're going to have you know, millions of, of pounds of coal ash, of this waste, and you're going to keep it in these open pits, you have to cover it. You have to monitor the groundwater around it. We know that there are at least 70 coal ash waste sites in eight states that have contaminated groundwater. You have to monitor the groundwater, and you have to publish information about what you learned. All right, transparency. The EPA just rolled all that back. They just said, nope, that was an Obama rule. We're doing away with Obama rules. Uh, the, the industry itself can now determine how best to deal with coal ash. You know, when the industry itself was doing that 10 years ago, you had this massive coal ash spill near Kingston, Tennessee. And then you had, uh, four years ago, Duke Energy dumped 39,000 tons of coal ash into the Dan River. Those are both still being cleaned up, and they're both still poisoning people downstream. So the EPA, A, isn't concerned, apparently, about you or me being poisoned. But when Scott Pruitt was running it, they were very concerned about Scott Pruitt being poisoned. You can't make this stuff up. This, this is from Politico, from today's Politico. Scott Pruitt did this $9,500 redecoration of his office. A new desk, new chairs, all kinds of fancy stuff, right? And the new desk that he bought came from a company in California that makes desks. And the state of California requires that if you manufacture furniture and you use glues that contain formaldehyde, or if you use materials that contain formaldehyde, as most pressed board does, you know, where you use wood particles that just get pressed together, there's formaldehyde in there, that you put a label on it that says this could, be, this could cause cancer. Now, that is not a federal standard. As far as I know, California is the only state that has that requirement. But when the desk arrived in Washington, D.C., Scott Pruitt's staff noticed the sticker saying this desk is made with materials that have formaldehyde, which may cause cancer. And his uh, acting deputy chief of staff, Reginald Allen, reached out to a career official uh, who was the head of the EPA's toxic chemical division, Wendy Cleland Hamnett, and said, can someone in your area tell us whether it's okay to get this desk for the administrator related to the warning? In other words, you know, should we put this desk in front of Scott Pruitt if it's leaking formaldehyde because formaldehyde causes cancer? The, uh, the woman, Wendy Cle Cleland Hamnett, the career official with the EPA said, 
uh, let the desk air out somewhere other than in Pruitt's office for a few days, because most of the formaldehyde vapes out in the, in the first weeks after manufacture. Administrative personnel appeared to make plans to have the desk assembled at a warehouse and left there for a week when the highest concentrations of formaldehyde are usually permitted. Formaldehyde, by the way, causes leukemia, nose and throat cancer, and other kinds of uh, diseases. And Scott Pruitt, uh, the EPA, a month earlier, had blocked an effort to notify Americans, in other words, to have a federal law similar to the California law, that when something contains formaldehyde, like your baby's uh, crib or the new bed that you just got, that you need to be notified. So, so Pruitt says, don't tell the people if, if there's formaldehyde and stuff. And his staff goes, wait a minute, there's formaldehyde in your new desk. Oh, geez, leave it in the warehouse until it's all vaped out. This is, I mean, you know, this, this, this goes beyond hypocrisy. This, this is some sort of bizarre uh, corruption that is just unfathomable. <sighs> Amazing. Ilya in Canton, Michigan. Hey, Ilya, thanks for listening to X Series XM. What's up? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking the call. Good to talk to you again. Um, what you kind of touched on at the top of the hour is what I was calling about. Um, I wanted to talk about voting. Um, uh, you know, with all this stuff going on with Trump, uh, you know, um, much like in the 2016 debates and election, a lot of issues are getting obfuscated by the drama that's going along with him. And uh, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is is that the voting issue is one of those Um uh, in 2013, in the Shelby versus Holder case, when they kind of gutted the Voting Rights Act, um, you know, we've just been on a downward slide since yep. then. And uh, the um, uh, tonight, I'm going to a fundraiser here in Canton at a at a house uh, house party for one of our uh, state representatives. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm going to be getting a chance to talk to them, and you know, I'm going to be addressing this shit, this issue with them. Because voting is too damn hard in this country. Yep. It's just, you know, um, you guys in Colorado, um, are, I believe, are the only two states that have vote by mail. Uh, Washington and, State uh, does now, too. I'm sorry? Washington State does now, too. Oh, okay. Um, because I believe that then the three of you um, are in the top three of voter turnout. In That's 2016, true. where, you know, uh, nationally it was about 55 percent, um, I believe, uh, you know, you guys were, you know, in the 70 percent of turnout. Yep. Um, th this is something that uh, people need to, to get on the representatives about, um, you know, at the state level yep. and, uh, and, and, and implement because the – the, the process is, is too difficult, and the courts are against us yep. on this. And, Ilya, it is intentionally difficult. It is just, and thank oh, you for the call. You know, well said. And, and good luck. Say hi to your rep for me, and, and I wish you the very best tonight. But I, I just, I, I have to just, for people who haven't, you know, if you may have just tuned into the show, you're a new listener. If you're an old-time listener, you've heard this, you know, many times. But the guy who was the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, the guy that was a, a, a co-founder of ALEC, the guy who helped run the Reagan campaign, the guy who was a co-founder of the, uh, uh, not the moral majority, but one of the Christian groups, Paul Weyrich, who brought Christianity to the Republican Party and, and vice versa in 1980, working for Ronald Reagan. Paul Reagan, in 1980, addressing a group of Republican Christian activists in a church in Texas, had this to say. Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Let me repeat that. In fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Paul Weyrich, the founder of the modern-day conservative movement, or the co-founder, one of the founders, working on behalf of the billionaires. You know, he's, Paul is gone, but his words and his, his philosophy are still with us. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And the GOP has been using this ever since, and they continue to use it. Voter suppression is their number one strategy. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The quote of the day, our quote of the day comes from France Fanon, who is, uh, whose birthday would be today, the anti-colonial intellectual and revolutionary 
who fought for independence from French colonial rule in Algeria. His books inspired Huey Newton and Bobby Seale to start the Black Panther Party and uh, for self-defense, which was the original title, Black Panther Party for self-defense. This quote was used in protest, which a quote I'm going to share with you in just a moment, against uh, police after Eric Garner's last words. Uh, this We just passed the uh, last week, the enter, or maybe it was Tuesday this week. Tuesday, yeah, the fourth anniversary of Eric Garner's murder by the, by the police in New York, uh, where Eric Garner said, I can't breathe. And here's the quote. We revolt simply because, for many reasons, we can no longer breathe. Franz Fanon. And uh, another quote for the day. We have talked, uh, uh, actually, several conversations that we've had here today about how without Fox News and without the right-wing echo chamber, the right-wing, the, the hard right, right-wing hate radio on, on literally in every city in America, and Fox News on basic cable, and very often, large chunks of the day, and particularly on the weekends, the only channel where you can actually get what looks like news. I mean, they're, they're very good at what they do. Without these two instruments, I don't think this country would be torn apart the way they are right now. And these came out of Reagan and, and Clinton's deregulation of the media business back in the 80s and the 90s. And they have, in my opinion, particularly Fox News, have adopted the big lie technique. And this is something that Franklin Roosevelt warned us about. Here's what FDR had to say about this back in the, in the, the uh, I believe this was 1940 or 41. Here he is. Remember, a number of years ago, there was a book, Mein Kampf, written by Hitler himself. The technique was all set out in Hitler's book, and it was copied by the aggressors of Italy and Japan. According to that technique, you should never use a small falsehood, always a big one, for its very fantastic nature would make it more credible. If only you keep repeating it over and over and over again. There you go. Can't say we weren't warned, right? I mean, warned big time. So, back to your calls, Paul in Chicago. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Uh, just in reference to the gentleman that was talking about the, the employers that, that's on the book, uh, not to employ someone who's illegal. Right. Well, I work for a huge company, and how they get around that, Tom, we have a warehouse that is split in half. Half are employees, and the other half are temps. Now, they're not, they're not employed as employed, you know what I mean? As employer, as right. employees. You know, they're, they they're contract their labor security. via the via yeah, the temp company, but the temp company, Correct. if the temp company is is placing people who are here without citizenship in jobs, the temp company itself could be prosecuted because they're actually the legal employer. Yeah, yeah. So you know there there is a way around that, but I get I get what you're saying, Paul. It's a it's a good point. Thank you for for calling and making it, Chris in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on KABQ. Hey, Chris, what's up? Chris. In, hey, Tom. Sorry, I had to take. A, that's okay. Call. What's up? Hey, um, so I was just, uh, just I'm just trying, trying to do my part. I, I'm working full time, but uh, once again, I'm just calling in uh, for a call of action, uh, and not only not only to the Democrats out there, but what I wanted to mention though too, Tom, is you know calling out the you know the people that are that are constituents of the Republican Party, like they need to take their you know their party back as well. Yep. Um, but uh, anyways, um, we have we have integrity within our. Um, within our state here in New Mexico, within our uh, our election system, I, I want to give credit to Maggie Toulouse Oliver, um, you know, for that. But my call to action though is, is for people in other states, because I kind of keep thinking, you know, if if we want to see a blue wave, you know, it, and there's this talk about Russian meddling. Well, every, I mean, I think we have integrity here, but what about in all the other states? Though they have to. Yeah. So, and that burden falls on the on the Secretary of State in other in other states. Um, yeah, and in many cases, so, Secretary of States like Chris Kobach in Kansas. Uh, you know, like Ken Blackwell did in Ohio. I'm not sure who the current uh, Secretary of State is there. But, you know, these, these aggressive efforts to strip people off the voting rolls are continuing in all these red states, and we have to be vigilant. Chris, thanks for the call. And, and by the way, if you think you're a registered voter, if you're in a state that's controlled by Republicans, and particularly if you live in a neighborhood that is largely Democratic or that is low income or that has, you know, more than 5% people of color, double check your voting registration. We just learned that 16 million Americans were pulled off the voting rolls in the two years before the 2016 election. Virtually all of it in states that were controlled by Republicans. It's mind-boggling. Lawrence in uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, listening on AM 950 KTNF. Hey, Lawrence, what's up? 
Hey, uh, dovetailing on that Reagan legacy thing and what this last caller said. Hey, I just want to, I, I, I as a black uh, person, have the privy to knowing and being raised up with a white racist. And this white racist told me, I said, hey, man, why, why did you vote for Trump? Why are you like you are? He said that, hey, he doesn't know and he just can't help it. And so it's like you said, it doesn't matter what, and this is where the Democrats will lose. You can forget about the blue wave until the Democrats are willing to stand on their feet and say, just like Mitch Laundry did in New Orleans, say, hey, look, the day of white privilege is over. Yeah. Hey, look, you know, guys, you've been privileged. I'm going to stand on my feet today and make the KKK a terrorist organization just like just like the uh, – I'm sorry, say again? No, I didn't say anything. Oh, yeah, just – just like the, IRA, the, uh, the the Islamic terrorists, the KKK will until Democrat is ready to stand on their feet, even at the threat of losing an election. That is the only time you will have a blue wave because my friend, who is a racist, they don't care about anything. And this is what he told me: he doesn't care. I don't care what Trump does, as long as he protects my white privilege. Quote, unquote. This is my buddy that I've known wow. since high school. He's a racist. He told me the truth. Now, I'm privy to that information. Now, secondly, what you said, Tom, and I'm sorry, I'll get off after this. You just said that these people don't have access to any other news except Fox. I travel around this country, 48 contiguous United States of America, and I never see MSNBC. All that is blaring in Omaha, Nebraska, North Platte, Nebraska, um, um, Fort Collins, Colorado, all of these small towns. The only news source, and it's not news, is for... And part of that is the result, uh, Lawrence, of a decision that was made at NBC to make MSNBC a premium channel, to make it, it, it was more important to turn it into a profit center than ideology, whereas Fox was it was more important you know Rupert Murdoch lost a hundred million dollars a year for the first five years of Fox News uh, he was willing to spend that to build out this right-wing channel you know have Roger Ailes build this thing out Roger Ailes who pitched GOP TV to Richard Nixon when he was in the Nixon White House they did it whereas MSNBC because it's an extra five dollars a month it's a premium channel a lot of businesses don't pay for premium channels so they you literally couldn't get MSNBC on the TV at the truck stop or in the hotel and and uh, you know the, the best you can get is CNN and and then on top of that, of course, MSNBC. You know, the, the, the much of the morning of MSNBC is filled with con, you know conservative, uh, you know Joe Scarborough, Republican, and and uh, some you know conservative Democrats. I, I can't even call it a progressive network. But anyhow, back to you, Lawrence, to wrap it up. Wow, yeah, you just said it, Tom. You just took what I was just about to say. As long as MSNBC and all the other people sit there and legitimize Fox News as well. I know they got to make a profit. We understand that. But you're destroying America by letting Fox News get by and treat it like a news network. And that in lies the problem with MSNBC. It is exactly like you said, Tom, and they need to they need to get on and watch Tom Hartman uh, your your show on the internet. They need to support the Tom Hartman show. We need to start putting our money behind Tom Hartman, uh, Stephanie Miller, all of these people. And until then, Democrats, you don't have a message and don't expect a blue wave. And one more yeah. thing, I'll tell you. No, what, uh, we don't have time for one more thing, Lawrence, because we're hitting a break. But just you know, you're listening on KTNF, your local affiliate there, and our local affiliate there in Minneapolis. And, uh, and St. Paul, where you're calling from. So please, support their sponsors. Call up, listen for the ads, and call up their sponsors and say, thank you for supporting KTNF. If, if I'm not going to buy a sofa from your furniture store this week, I know somebody who might. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spread the good word. Lawrence, thanks so much for the call and for your passion. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Super happy to have back in the studio with us our old friend Swami Bhyanananda, the cosmic com comic whose favorite yoga pose is tongue-in-cheek, the author of Swami for Precedent, the seven-step plan to heal the body politic and cure electile dysfunction, his slightly more serious alter ego, Steve Behrman, uh, the author, the radio host, political scientist, and co-author of Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get From Here to There, with the cellular biologist Bruce Lipton will join us in just a moment. But 
uh, the website wakeuplaughing.com, and you can tweet him at Swami, S-W-A-M-I-B-E. B-E? B-E. Oh, Swami B. Yeah, B. Swami B. Welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Well, it's great to be here, and we have no choice. No matter where we are, we're always here. Indeed. Okay. And it's always now. And it's always now. And if anybody would like to be in the now more, too late, already then. <laughs> okay, so I'm curious your thoughts on the state of our body politic. Well, it is so serious out there that we need to have a little bit more laughter to overcome the levity, to overcome the gravity of the situation. And in fact, it's gotten so serious that many people are asking, is this the hand of God at work? or just the middle finger. <laughs> so we're wondering about that. And uh, in our, our current condition right now, uh, it's gotten so serious that people are actually nostalgic for George Bush. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed that. Yeah, people are saying, well, I remember the good old days when we were saying, cheer up, it could be worse. And we were right. It yeah. is. It is worse. Yeah. It is worse. Well, your, your, your thoughts on, on, the, uh, on the Trump? Well, you know, I, I think uh, I, so many people are, are talking about this apocalyptic thing that I went to that Bible and I actually saw the passages about what they call the final days. Mm. And uh, you won't believe what it said. It said, a sign that the final days are here. It says, and the last trump shall blow. Did you know that? <laughs> I think it's trumpet. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> but it says trump. It does say trump, I have to say. Oh. And I know you're knowing, okay, well, very well, he is blowing. But that is, but that is really why this is a great evolutionary moment. Mm. Great, because Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and I have to say, we have to be compassionate. We must be compassionate for him because behind every soulless heel is an unhealed soul. Yeah. And so we not only have to uh, heal souls these days, we have to re-soul heels. <laughs> okay. And I'm working on a program for people like him. It's called From A-Hole to B-Hole. Ah, uh, okay. Now, we have to recognize Donald Trump is America's balloon karma payment. Because everything that has been going on since, in a way, the beginning. If we want to look at Native peoples, slavery, and we want to look at uh, uh, what has gone on in the secret government for the last 70 years and so on. The things that have been done under what has been called the don't ask, don't tell policy. We promise not to ask our government what it is doing, and they promise not to tell us. Yeah. And so that has been going on. And so what we have right now is the culmination of all of that. And so we can say that our country... Uh, has been rear-ended, we've been rear-ended by our own karma. Yeah. And yeah. we're suffering from whiplash. I think so. Snidely whiplash. Snidely <laughs> whiplash. That's what we I have. That. <laughs> he's, he's the new Secretary of State. He is. They're, they're waiting for him. <laughs> or or, or he's, he's, he's uh, waiting for uh, Jeff uh, Sessions to be kicked out. To be as, out of session. AG, to so be so out of session. There you yes. go. So, uh, yes. Swami, uh, you you are uh, you're on tour actually. Uh, yes. Where where you're going to be in Salem, Oregon tonight? We're going to Salem. Yes, at the Unity Unity Church of Salem. Mm -hmm. I like to do a lot of spiritual centers because they are like that because it is like my spiritual path, non-dominational. 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 And I do church services, and people have asked me all the time if I'm an ordained minister, and it turns out I was a minister in a past life. Uh -huh. I am preordained. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, and then up. we're on tour in the fall. We're going to be in, uh, in, in, at uh, Lake Tahoe uh, in September. We're going to be in Salt Lake City, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Fort Collins, Colorado. We're going to be in Princeton, New Jersey, of all places. Connecticut, Washington, D.C., and Florida. Not only uh -huh. we do the higher states and the lower states, all of the states. All the various yes. states of consciousness. Of, of consciousness. Mind. And some of these are states of unconsciousness. Yes. yes. But what we want to do is we want to bring cosmic comic perspective. Mm. Because when we're able to laugh, we liberate ourselves from fear. We bring breathing. Breathing is the key to long life, as you know. Mm. You, keep, you know, breathe in, you inspire. You don't, you expire. So very important to keep breathing. <laughs> and what happens is laughter brings oxygen to the brain. And when a lot of the, the political um, uh, uncommentary, or a lot of what's going on right now, narrows people to anger and fear. And so when you allow laughter to come to, to, to bear, it liberates you from this fearful space and you can see from a higher perspective. Yeah. Because again, we have all of these people who are, you know, we have all of these sides vying for one another. People at odds trying to get even. But when we see it, uh, we look at the, my angle is we're all on the same side. When you see it from that angle, there are no sides, only angles. And so what is very important is that we have a deeply, yes, true, Deeply divided body politic. 
half the people believe our system is broken. The other half believe that it's fixed. Right. And uh, that is why we need to bring left and right, front and center. And here's why. We need, we need to bring the red tribe and the blue tribe together in sacred circle to talk until they're purple in the face. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Only so, by being one purple people will the peeps outnumber the perps. There you go. Swami Vyanananda, wakeuplaughing.com. I'm assuming your schedule's there, right? Oh, yes. If you go to wakeuplaughing.com under uh, Swami's calendar, you'll begin to see some of the shows are popping up for Great. the fall. And back with me after the break is going to be Steve Berman. That's right. Yeah. He's another guy. Another guy. Namaste and namaste go. Good night. Okay. We'll be back. Stick around. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com right now. Use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. Now back to the podcast. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, in the studio with us, back, back in the studio with us. In different incarnation, you've been reincarnated. It's Steve Behrman, uh, who, uh, in uh, you know, when he's dressed appropriately, is Swami Beyananda. Steve, welcome. welcome Thank you. Great to be here. And 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 we can just have a, a a little more serious conversation. I mean, you use your comedy as you did so so brilliantly just a few minutes ago, and a great demonstration of, you know, how we can bring people together and how we can tone down the rhetoric and how we can decrease the uh, the pain level, but. Uh, what are you, I mean, you're on the road. You, you, you and Trudy have been on the road for mm -hmm. most of the many, many years you've been yeah. married. Mm -hmm. um, what, how is America different in your experience right now from before Trump and from uh, arguably before maybe the war in Iraq or maybe even before Reagan? I mean, you and I are about the same age. Well, I think, first of all, on our recent tour, we just got back from the Midwest. Uh, and, of course, if we want to have peace in the Middle East, we first have to have peace in the Middle West. <laughs> Indeed. And um, it, it's just really a mixed bag. Uh, like never before in, in our lives, we have we don't know who to believe. It's been 37 years since Walter Cronkite said, and that's the way it was for the last time. Mm -hmm. And so since that time, we've, uh, as you were talking about earlier, we've had this, uh, this right-wing talk machinery that has created enough doubts that's woven in enough falsehoods with the, with the very real uh, understanding that our media because of how it's controlled by very few people, has really not been telling us the truth. And so this whole idea of fake news has been able to insinuate itself. So I have very good friends who, uh, they believe that uh, Donald Trump is going to liberate us from the deep state. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the problems is that we don't have any um, transpartisan, believable news right now, that because of the unfairness doctrine, which has ins mm. insinuated itself, it's that basically it's anybody's. You know, I don't. I don't believe it may be true, but I don't believe it. And right. people are saying stuff like that. And we have news agencies that have subsumed or or made subsidiary 
the truth uh, uh, to profits. I mean, it, it, Les Moonves on an investor call with CBS, you know, back last year, just before the election, famously said, you know, Donald Trump is making us a pile of money. He said it may be terrible for America, but it's great for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Well, we all talk about CBS, and there's plenty of BS to see. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I think what you're saying uh, has created this sense of mistrust of all of our institutions. And I think there's a way to take advantage of that. As, as we traveled around the country, recognizing now that 72% of millennials don't trust either political party, uh, the trust in our government and media is in the single digits uh, hmm. right now, and so uh, I think that, that my, you know, my work with Bruce Lipton, which was writing a book about evolution, talking about the next phases of human evolution, uh, recognizing that we're, we, uh, believe it or not, it doesn't look like this right now. We're in the middle of the caterpillar. The butterfly has not yet emerged. We're in the chrysalis. We're definitely in that chaotic chrysalis, and there's caterpillar debris falling around everywhere. <clears throat> the idea is that there, is an emer there must be, if we are to survive, an emergent new way of viewing our relationship with everything. Are you seeing this in the Plato's Cave context? Is it... uh, well, I think part of it is that we, you know, we, we've been in the shadow illusion uh, for a long time, and it's the illusion of separation. Yeah. And if you want to boil it down to, uh, to, one, to one thing, are we connected? Or as Albert Einstein said, is the universe a friendly place? Of course, Bullwinkle would say, Finley, you just listen. But <laughs> we're not all Bullwinkle. Right. So, so the point is that, that right now, underneath all of this uh, polarization and stress and so on, uh, and the, the curtains are being lifted, the veils are being lifted, on simultaneously the toxic perpetrations that have been going on for so long that people have not wanted to see. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, the curtains are being lifted on, you know, many, uh, many spiritual practices that have been kept in protective custody. So, for example? Well, for example, like, if you want to look like at the uh, Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic practices, wow. uh, uh, Chinese medicine, Qigong, uh, shamanic practices, native practices, all of this uh, uh, alchemy, magic, and so on that has, you know, been kept in protective custody for those people who have been deemed mature enough for it. Right. And in order for us to overgrow the current system, because we can't overthrow it, we have a, a system that needs to be impeached, basically, the entire system. And the two parties play their roles in the system. And so what is burgeoning underneath, and I'm seeing this with people that I know um, under the radar, but it really is an, a new independent uh, political movement that's finding itself, that's bringing people together around common sense ideas, and because when people actually sit down and discuss things like abortion uh, and guns and all of these things, they realize, uh, and, and immigration, these are, these are problems that require thought, they require nuance, et cetera, et cetera. The two political parties, uh, you've probably seen that book, Wedged, by Eric, Eric Fogg, wrote a book called Wedged. I haven't read yeah, it. The two political parties basically feed these polarities because that's, that's what they require. But it seems to me that the big power behind all this, Steve, is a, you know, going back to the Powell memo in 71, where, where Lewis Powell said to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, business up to this point yeah. has always felt that it would be inappropriate to get engaged in politics, and now your survival's at risk because Rachel Carlson and Ralph Nader are going to take you down. Exactly. And, right. and yeah. so, so we have these large businesses and uh, now industries, which are controlled by monopsonies, small numbers of large businesses, and the billionaires who got rich off of them, uh, you know, to the, uh, controlling these systems to the point that, uh, for example, you know, 80, 80 some odd percent of Republicans believe that there's no possibility that climate change is actually a real problem. They've been brainwashed, and the other word is mind-fogged. Yeah. Brainwashed and mind-fogged. And, and, and that's what Fox News and all of these things have been very concerted, the Powell Memorandum, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been in, and so my, my joke that's not that funny, I wrote an article about Fox called Come On Baby, Fight My Liar. Mm. And, uh, you know, I said that apparently people on the right like being lied to, whereas people on the left prefer lying to themselves. And what I mean by that is the unwillingness for the entire eight-year Obama administration, uh, the unwillingness of the Democratic Party, and then going way back to challenge all of the uh, all of the voting toxicity, including hacked voting machines, all of these things. And I think what happened in this election is that a lot of working people who might have been New Deal Democrats back in the day, they simply got tired of the Democratic Party not being 
the party that's actually defending and protecting their rights. And, you know, going back to, to neoliberalism and Clintonism, where it became Republican light and the brand became vote for us. We're not as bad as the other guys. I, th I, th I see that changing. I mean, you yeah. know, uh, Alexandria or, or, or Tizio Cortez's election. Of course and, and, it is. You know, because Cynthia Nixon challenging Cuomo. And I see because a lot the rank and file Democrats are as uh, up in arms about, well, maybe I shouldn't say that about gun control, but they're up in arms uh, the same way that the angry rank and file Republicans were. Mm. And they, you know, took over the Republican Party. And um, I think had Bernie really uh, been allowed to be the candidate, he would have won because it was a year of insurgency and people not wanting the status quo. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people who voted for him in the primary and then voted for Trump, and, and mostly military folks that I knew in D.C. But uh, Steve Barron, uh, the website, wakeuplaughing.com. Steve, thanks. So Thank much. you so much for having me. Great talking okay, with you. Bye. We'll be back with Anything Goes Friday. Welcome back, and in goes Friday and Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, uh, I thought your last uh, guest was hilarious, and I, you know, God bless him. I hope he can uh, get a real wide flock. Um, Steve's been doing this yeah, for years. He's really good. WakeUpLaughing.com is the website, and it's worth checking out. Right, and uh, but it's always occurred to me that there are very few uh, conservative comedians. There are none in the top ten. And the reason behind it, as I know it, is because for any joke to work, it has to have a grain of truth in it. Otherwise, it has no context or, or you know, sounds like a, a, a political chant. Yeah. And uh, so I, 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 don't, I don't know of any. And I thought maybe it might be a good idea to bring back the court jester as a, uh, I don't know, department or something so that uh, Trump or whoever the president is forced to learn what the real news is. Yeah, what you, what uh, what Bill is referring to, uh, or if I may, Bill, uh, for people who don't know sure. what you're talking about, the court jester, uh, through a thousand years of European history, was uh, in most courts, and and there were exceptions to this, obviously, but in most courts, was the only person who was absolutely immune from punishment by the king, regardless of what he said, and or the queen, and so the result of that was that. The court jester would inform the king or queen of the truth of what was going on and try to do so in the context of comedy. And I think that your point that there has to be a grain of truth is incredibly true. I remember when uh, Dennis Miller, the last conservative comedian that I can, you know, that comes to my mind, uh, was popping up on Fox News a lot. And he was doing these segments with Bill O'Reilly and they did this uh, tour around the country. And I caught a couple of months on Fox News and I was not laughing. And it wasn't that I wasn't laughing because I'm not a conservative. It was like it, all it was was snark i mean it wasn't humor it wasn't comedy it was it was uh, you know putting people down. down yeah it was punching down exactly and it, and it, and it seemed small and and uh right. so yeah bill i gotta move along but thank you for the call that was a really important point uh appreciate much appreciated lebron in russell georgia hey lebron what's on your mind uh, yes it's russell georgia uh, it's good to talk to you tom it's my first time calling in i'm actually putting up a a small uh site myself uh to try to get out to people but uh, I have a question for you. I was looking at when he was going, uh, when Trump was going over to meet with Putin, and this uh, pr privacy, uh, private meeting took place. And I told my wife, I said, it looks like to me that he's just going over there to see what the boss man has to say. I mean, he's pretty clear that he's for the guy. And as uh, you see, the by his sure. body posture when they walked out of the meeting, you know, Putin was standing and smiling with his chest out and his head up, and Trump was looking down at the ground with his face down and looked like a broken man. Back to you. Exactly, exactly. Uh, in fact, I was about to say he looked like when he came out of there that he had just been reprimanded. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, I was telling my wife also, uh, I thought about this for a couple of days when all everything was hitting the fan, and I said, uh, and I want your opinion on this. What if Putin throws Trump a concession as if Trump had uh, uh, been strong with him and, and, and he gives Trump concessions? These Trumpsters are going to be guns a-blazing in the streets, and I would bet that they would do that probably just before the election, the, the midterm election, if I had my guess right. Yeah. I mean, these people, if you really watch them, you can... You can almost tell what what they're up to sometimes. I mean, 
uh, I, I just wanted to, what, what would you think about that? That would be an absolute disaster. He would be the king of the world at that point. Yeah, we talked and, about this yesterday, uh, LeBron. The, oh. the, the uh, idea that uh, Trump may reprise Kristallnacht, basically, and uh, as I recall, it was like November of 1938. And um, as a result of the assassination, there was, uh, the, the Polish Jews were being moved around by the Nazis, and the son of a Polish Jew who had been uh, deported or uh, detained or whatever, um, assassinated a Nazi, a high Nazi official at the embassy in Poland, as I recall. And um, as a result of this, uh, Hitler, you know, and, and all these guys that were making these speeches about, you know, that's it, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, these, the, the, the Hitler youth and the volunteers, the brown shirts, came out and, tr you know, crashed, you know, trashed the synagogues and the Jewish-owned businesses, thus uh, crystal, knock, crystal Night, you know, the night of the shards of glass. And uh, I think the concern of many is, is if the Democrats win the House back or even the Senate during that eight-week interregnum between the time of the election and the time of the swearing-in, might there be uh, action on the street, shall we say, that could cause Trump to declare a state of emergency is a scary thought. LeBron, thanks. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.